welcome to episode four of No BS, No Bullshit Therapy. Um, my name is Christina, and I'm here with Danielle, and we are talking today about, well, continuing with the trend of destigmatizing things, but we're talking about um, therapy overall and what it looks like for different people. Um, one of the things that I like to make very clear. Danielle and I work with people for with different issues based on and every and every therapist works with different types of people who present with different types of issues that they that they want to go to therapy for. And one of the most common misconceptions I think I come across is that people think that you need to have gone through some kind of trauma in your life to seek therapy. And that's not discounting. Yes, if you have gone through trauma, Therapy is an amazing tool to help you work through your trauma. But a lot of people just come to therapy just for personal growth. So trauma therapy is a subset in and of itself. In some therapists, I am one of them who specialize in trauma care, dealing with traumatic situations that clients may have, PTSD, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. A lot of times when people begin to come to therapy, there's a catalyst of sorts. And for many people, coming to therapy usually follows an event where they feel they can't cope, they can't move beyond it, they are struggling, and this symptomology that they're experiencing follows suit. So understanding that the only reason for therapy is not just trauma and being open to the fact that coming to therapy to work on personal growth as well is is a major part so one thing that we really want to focus on today and kind of zoom in on is the fact that therapy can lead to personal growth and there's a lot of different types of people Mm -hmm. both professional and personal reasons who are attending therapy because they want to better themselves not because something is wrong Absolutely. You know, typically, I mean, I, I'd be I'd be a liar if I said I didn't go to therapy because I wasn't. Yes, Penny, you, you were there for all of that, right? Okay. Um, when I first went, went to therapy, um, I went for a specific reason because I was going through something. But I found over the course of time, and this is the cool thing about therapy, is that if you allow therapy to unlock a lot of different doors, you could definitely work on yourself. And one of the main things that I came across and learned in my experience in therapy was that, you know, obviously I talked in episode two about my anxiety, but is that I had not only had a pattern of anxiety, I had a pattern of of a lot of self-loathing and... uh, self-esteem issues and insecurities that were coming out in behaviors that I felt um, weren't appropriate anymore and I wanted to grow from that and also too um, at that time you know trying to figure out what my path in life was going to be how I wanted what I wanted to be when I grew up at like the age of 28 because I wasn't really sure and as it turns out I ended up becoming a therapist so that was kind of a cool thing that therapy allowed me to clear out some of that stuff in order to grow and be what I I believe I, I was meant to be and I don't think I could have ever have done it had I not had that experience that's my personal experience it might be different for everybody else but that's my personal experience I believe that therapy is a very personal experience that does not have to surround a trauma I know Penny sometimes sometimes people go to therapy and they don't have trauma Mm -hmm. I know it's hard to understand but it's true so 
it's important for us to recognize that going to therapy for personal reasons encompasses a lot. And some of those things, well, backing up a little bit, there's a lot of therapists who specialize in a lot of different areas that are mm-hmm. um, zooming in on, on things like career. Like career therapy mm-hmm. is a real thing. Life coaches really kind of focus on the being with you day to day. While they're not therapists, they are helping people figure out like what is the next best step that they can be taking, especially as far as like career, social situations, um, and finding their best self in the present. And I think finding your best self is the key there. When you're going to therapy to develop a stronger relationship with yourself, that means working on self-esteem, self-worth, and really figuring out who you are as an individual rather than... my favorite. (laughs) Rather than focusing on a problem that's sticking out. Um, it's self-care as a whole, and it's yeah. oftentimes a lot of people, a, a big part of people's self-care routine. And I'm, I'm really glad that you actually mentioned self-care, because therapy is self-care. It is a way to care for yourself and your mental well-being. Whether you have, you don't have to have a diagnosis in order to see a therapist. You could just want someone to talk to. And the cool thing about a therapist is that that person is in front of you as a neutral party who doesn't know you except for what you're presenting. That's one of the biggest values of a therapist, though, is having this third party that is completely neutral, that is not a part of the inner workings of your life, Mm -hmm. who can give you an outsider's perspective on what's going on and point out maybe some things you didn't know about yourself. I do it all the time. I love doing it. I love like figuring a person out and like seeing um, what they have to offer and then um, trying to um, grow on that. And then and then also telling people, um, unfortunately, in therapy, you are going to hear things that you don't necessarily want to hear, but that's where you grow. So a lot of people don't even realize that I didn't even realize that the, the reason why I felt the way I did about myself and behaved the way I did had this whole underlying theme of where my insecurities came from, what a negative core belief was, why I had the negative core belief, how it, how I, it affected the rest of my life. And I learned so much of that um, about myself because I've learned how to manage those thoughts when they come in. So a lot of people don't realize that um, therapy isn't just for one specific thing. A lot of doors end up opening up. And that's because, and I kind of look at it like, you know, you're, say your insides are like a really like cluttered room and you start cleaning things out. Well, you clean things out, it allows room for new stuff. Like, like an overcrowded closet. You start throwing away the things that you don't need. You start getting rid of what doesn't fit you anymore, what doesn't work for you more, what's not in style, what you're never going to wear again. And you get rid of it to allow room to get things that fit you better, that you feel better in, that are maybe something more of what you're into in the moment. So it gives space for you. And that's what therapy can do. So I know it's a little early, but I'm going to get into some science. Oh my gosh, here she goes. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about negative core beliefs, because this is a term that Christina brought up that is major in therapy, and I don't think a whole lot of people know exactly, unless you have experience with it, know exactly what it is. So negative core beliefs are the negative feelings that you have about yourself as an overarching blanket belief. Um, those negative core beliefs start because you have an experience that first makes you feel it 
And then mm-hmm. you have subsequent experiences over time, whether self-induced or otherwise, that solidify that that experience was truth. Yep. And so we create this neurocognitive pathway in the brain. So let's take a look at your brain for a second. Everybody knows the cartoony kind of picture of the brain is that like wrinkly, like ugly pink thing, right? <laughs> I just thought of pinky in the brain. I don't know why. But I loved I, that cartoon. <laughs> well, the wrinkly stuff on top is your gray matter. And that's actually where all of your memories are stored. So as time goes on and you're experiencing anything, whether you're conscious or not, your gray matter is changing. And new wrinkles are forming in the brain because the more wrinkles there are, the more surface area there is to store memories. And we actually use very small fragment of our capacity over a lifetime. Mm -hmm. It's pretty amazing. So neurocognitive pathways, just a fancy term for the way that our brain is used to functioning and in what order. So something happens which fires information to another synapse and it sets off a chain reaction which what we're experiencing during that chain reaction is a series of thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. If we are imagining the gray matter as the woods and we think of our current neurocognitive pathways as well-worn paths through the woods, then Cognitive restructuring, which is what happens when we begin to shift those pathways and start thinking in a healthier way, are a new path that we're wearing through the woods. I know. It's unbelievable. So you think about this new path that we're wearing through the woods as going to a park on a a trail that you know well and beginning to take your, you know, machete or whatever and go bushwhacking through the woods. It's got a really fundamental image. <laughs> yeah, well, your mind's in the gutter. So, bushwhacking through the woods. So, you want to imagine that you've been on this trail, the well-worn one, for a long time, and, mm-hmm. like, every single time you fall in the same hole, but it gets you where you want to go, I guess. Well, you're bound and determined this time to find a shorter, more efficient, and more sustainable path. So you Mm -hmm. begin moving through the woods the first time, carving your path, and you're cutting down um, shrubs and trees and bushes, and you're beginning to wear your way. Well, it's great. It's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of effort, but it eventually gets you where you want to go in a more sustainable way. The next time you go through that that park again, you have to, first of all, find the old path, the path that you just tried to cut down, and then you have to go through it again because things have begun to grow back. Of course, you're going to hit some snags, and it's going to be easier for you to take the well-worn path because it's familiar. You know it's definitely, despite the hole that you fall in every time, mm-hmm. going to get you where yep. you want to go. But it's not the sustainable option, yeah, and it's not the healthiest option. So you begin to, um, over and over again, wear this new path in place. With time and consistency, the new path that you're creating becomes more well-worn, and the well-worn path mm-hmm. becomes overgrown. Yep. And this is cognitive restructuring. The path is now the new habit that you're forming, the new connections that you're making, your synapses are firing a different way. And it's all because you know, you're working really hard to change that internal dialogue. So the negative core belief, the old well-worn path, is no longer the highlight. And the new positive dialogue is you know, really the most prominent function. That was great. Thanks. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't even need to say anything about that. 
this is what when I when I was like wait until you hear my analogy on cognitive restructuring this was it no and I love Hater. that no, no one's hating oh my goodness I'm not hating no no that was really good um and I I love that explanation for um negative core beliefs um I talk about negative core beliefs all the time all day every day and um if you are my client and you are listening to this um, I want you to think real quick, what would Christina say if you were bringing up that negative belief about yourself, right? Yep. yep. Right? Exactly. Fact checking. Exactly. There's no evidence, right? They're all probably like, there's no evidence. That's what she always said. Yes. So, I actually do the same that evidence to support is a major factor because, you know, when we're starting, like I often use positive affirmations to dispute the negative mm-hmm. core belief, which if you're one of my clients, you're rolling your eyes right now because we all know how much both I and you probably hate them, but they're <laughs> functional and they, they work. They work. Yeah. Um, but just as we have created these facts over time to support our negative core beliefs, like we need to put just as much um, efficacy and weight and factual evidence behind these positive affirmations that we mm-hmm. don't believe. Or else, if you're anything like me, I'm going to be like, yeah. I, I, I can't get behind it, you know? Yep. And I love when people try and like, they'll try and like put the facts out there and, and you just look at them and you're like, and you get that the therapist look like, mm, no, no, I'm not buying that. Yeah. But I, I mean, I went through it too. And I, you know, so case in point, I call it, I, this is a horrible way to put it, but as clinically as I can say it, I call it your shit. So your shit's up. Like you have your shit. You have the stuff that follows you around. So we all probably have negative core beliefs. I know what mine are. And, you know, you carry it through. Now I've learned how to manage it. But the, you, you get faced with your stuff, your, your shit, if you will, comes up at other times. So, for example, my negative core belief is I'm not good enough. So say I'm at work and um, someone says something to me and all of a sudden I, my, and my knee-jerk reaction is like, well, you don't, th- you don't think I know how to do my job? Like that's like my knee. She's nodding because she's like, I used to work with you. <laughs> Well, there's been many times that I was sitting in your office. I remember where I was sitting in your office and I would often go to Christina's office to take a break because she's having a meltdown because I'm going to have a meltdown and therapists look out for each other and therapize each other if we need it. Um, Like the time I asked you to to, to come get me and take me off ground. (laughs) There was a time that she needs to be physically removed. I said, get me the fuck off this campus. I need to go. I can't drive. Just get me off. <laughs> that was real. That really happened. She drove me around for a little bit. It was good. Same thing. <laughs> well, one of those many occasions we were sitting in your office, mm-hmm. which her office had so much more sun. It was so that nice. Was so nice. <laughs> and it was a. It was a lot of that. Like, well, what do they think the problem is? What do they think I'm not good enough? What do they think I can't do this? Like, are you questioning my uh, yeah. abilities? <laughs> and 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 that's the kind of stuff that comes. Now, mind you, I'm aware, of it, but you know, I I recognize it now because I've worked on myself. Like, okay, is this real or is this just my stuff? And I I would actually ask, like, I've asked Danielle, I'm like, is it is it me? Is it my stuff or is this, is there and something there? There's and been she, times that it's not been, yeah. and there's times that it has been. And yeah. when it has been, I will tell her. Yeah, um, you know, I I personally appreciate that, but that's. Okay, so we're therapists. We're very aware of ourselves, which let me tell you, being being self-aware, 
is a blessing and a curse at the same time. Well, and let's just keep in mind that not all, we can't say that all therapists are self-aware. Right. Because there are individuals out there, and we have our own areas to work on as well. Oh, sure. But there's people out there who self-awareness is an area that they need to work on. Exactly. But that's another thing that therapy does for you, as as Danielle and I are talking about, like this whole clearing out of things that you can work on as far as your personal growth. It's increasing your self-awareness. So the I, I use the example of work because that is something that everyone relates to in some way. You're in a situation, whether it's a social situation, whether you're at work, where it might somebody might touch on something, and my my reaction, you know, 15 years ago was to start freaking out on that person. I learned that that's not the best way to approach things because I've worked on myself, and I'm not, you know. I've increased my self-awareness and it's not just I wasn't experiencing a trauma at the time it's just that all the work that I did do made me see myself in a different perspective so I was able to adapt in a healthier way to other environments as opposed to being unhealthy and so reactive in the past so I mean it really is like it really depends it really does I started laughing for a second because the um the closet analogy that you gave makes me think of R. Kelly. <laughs> Which chapter? <laughs> Trapped in the closet. This millennial here. <laughs> I can't help myself. It was like you help. have literally pulled your millennial out. <laughs> I can't help. You fine. can't tell me that you think of R. Kelly and you don't think of Trapped in the Closet. I think of a lot of things. Actually, you know what? What's Trapped in the closet is the first thing, and then all of a sudden, his like whatever. No, there's that song. Oh my gosh, what's the remix the, to ignition? Remix to ignition. Yes, 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 yes. That was my favorite song. Um, yeah. Well, oh my, can't we, we all know the song. <laughs> we all we know the song. It's used to dance. To that song all the time. My friends, if they're listening. Christina probably puts that in her TikTok videos. That was a dig, first of all, just so you guys know. Um, no, I haven't because that's not trending on TikTok. If you know anything about TikTok, it's not like a trending song. No, but Fleetwood Mac is right now because Lindsay Buckingham, in case you're not following, has started a TikTok. And, and I'm not a TikTok person, but everybody needs to follow Lindsay Buckingham. And Stevie Nicks has a TikTok, just so you know. She's my spirit animal. Yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you could see her hair. Looks just like very Stevie, <laughs> very Stevie. But anyway, that I this this is what happens to us. We just go completely off topic. It's fine. It's fine. It's R. Kelly in the closet. Yeah. So basically, the point is, is that um, on one side, people tend to think that you have to be going through something, you know earth-shattering or traumatic or whatever just to start therapy and therapy can open so many different doors no matter how you get there like so for example like I said I ended up in therapy because I was going through something at the time but it opened up so many different doors for me and now look I actually found a career path that I liked I'm not saying that's going to be the same for everybody everyone's going to have a different experience but for me that was my personal experience with it on the flip side of things another stigma on this topic is what a therapist is like there is a stigma on what therapists are like on um, this old school um, mentality that therapists are going to sit there and just like take a notes. Cartoon, yeah. Where yeah. Like, they're laying on the red couch, yep. like this chaise and like mm-hmm. the therapist sits behind them with their clipboard yep. taking notes. 
And that's not at all what therapy is. Not at all. That is very, like, 1940s, like, Freudian psychoanalysis. Yeah, and that, and and it, and it is that stigma that um, therapists are these robots who are there just like taking notes and like analyzing you. Or the or, heavy like Rogerian stuff where yeah. people are reflecting. I had worked with a clinician, my first therapist, who, in hindsight, really was a very good clinician, and she was a psychologist. She was mm-hmm. you know well credentialed, well educated, had a lot of success with other clients. We were not a good fit for one another, mm-hmm. but she was very Rogerian. Rogerian therapy is a ton of reflection, so I would say things like, yeah, I'm just annoyed because, like, my mom's being a brat. And then her response would be like, oh, so I, it sounds like you're annoyed because you don't like what your mom is saying. And I'm like, yeah, uh, I just said that. Like, you don't need to repeat it. Yeah. And and then and there's nothing wrong with that that modality. That, that just actually did not work really for me. yeah. That actually well that also brings up a really good point too. That actually um, can work for a lot of people. It wouldn't specifically work for me either, but that's me. And that brings us into this whole how do you how do you advocate for yourself in therapy? Like, well, you show up to therapy first of all for whatever personal reason you have, right? And. Mm-hmm. I think the first step is to like really build a relationship and so I often will tell my clients I encourage them when I first start seeing them to give it three sessions we Mm -hmm. are not committing to one another for any more than that the first session maybe two are you know intake getting to know one another and then the third session we might begin to get into like some real work and at that point might have a feel for how our future Mm -hmm. therapeutic relationship will go if we're either one of us are not feeling like if either I feel clinically like I can't provide what my client is needing or my client feels like I'm not able to reach them mm-hmm. or I'm not the style they're looking for or whatever. We've already set the precedent that this mm-hmm. is a trial period. 100%. And what what's what comes up a lot, and it, it actually comes up a lot um, on, like, in my live streams on TikTok is I don't like my therapist, but I don't know how to tell them. Just let a person know I don't think that you're a good fit for me. And I know that I'm not taking that away. That is very difficult for a lot of people to assert themselves. But what some people do, and this I hear more often than not, well, I was seeing a therapist, but it didn't do anything for me, so I just never went again. Well, was it the right therapist for you? So this is another uh, disclosure that I give my clients when I first start working Mm -hmm. with them as well. First of all, and before I even get into that, I just want to say that if you're a clinician who's not using this disclosure, there's nothing wrong with that. However, I do encourage you yeah. to try this. In conjunction with a, you know, reviewing the the administrative paperwork and talking about giving it three sessions before a decision is made. I also tell my clients that my expectation of them throughout the therapeutic process is honesty and that involves them being straight with me mm-hmm. about if I'm not what they need if I'm if it's not working if they just don't like the way mm-hmm. that things are going if they want to work on something else if they feel like I'm missing something or I'm wrong about something I want them to feel empowered to tell me about that mm-hmm. and if they feel like telling me the positive stuff too fine there's a million ways to do therapy mm-hmm. and the beauty of the therapeutic uh, education that's out there right now is that we have access to so many different things that mm-hmm. to say that we can't work with someone is a reality but doesn't have to be the majority no and, and I 
we can ahead. always also refer people if oh, we're yeah. not a good fit there's somebody that we know who is exactly and that is the beauty of today is that there's social media there's networking there's things that you could do to always refer people and i do the same thing that danielle does three sessions is my rule of thumb give it a shot i love to empower people i am i am a very upfront open this is what you see is what you get like how you're hearing me talk to you right now is how i talk to my clients how i talk to anyone i i'm very transparent and i let them know i might not be a good fit for you these are some of the things i like to do these are some of the things i want to work on this is what i see but if you disagree with me please feel free and i've actually stopped people like okay what do you think about what i just said and if I feel like there might be a chance they might disagree with me. I let them know right then and there. If you don't agree with me, it's okay. We'll we'll take a different direction. You know, so that is your benefit of being in therapy is that you are, you have a voice too. And for those who struggle with like maybe some social anxiety or passive communication or um, low self-esteem, this is empowering for you to start to take care of yourself. You're only going to get out of therapy what you put into it. We can so, also help guide you through that as yeah. clinicians. So if this is something that, and I can't speak for all therapists, but I know that there are clinicians out there that I include myself in that if I recognize that a client is coming in and they appear to have some social anxiety Mm -hmm. or passive communication or low self-esteem, self-confidence, I may encourage them in a number of different ways to use their voice. Tell me what you think about that. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong. Do you agree? Mm -hmm. How are you feeling about this? These are all phrases that I'll use because I want you to, I'm opening all of these doors and opportunities for you to say, you're wrong. That's not how I feel. There are times that I'll even say to my client, well, it seems like you feel X, Y, and Z. And I know that I'm probably off and I say it anyway because Mm -hmm. I want them to advocate for themselves. Absolutely. And advocating for yourself is actually very empowering. And like I I make this very well known and I I actually drill this into people the first couple sessions I meet with them. Even the first, my first contact call with someone, I drill into them like this is what it looks like. Because if you don't think that I'm a good fit for you, I can refer you to someone else like this. Danielle said, like, there's nothing wrong with that. And we don't get insulted. In fact, it's our ethical obligation to do what's in your best interest. So if you're looking to do some deep trauma work and you need a modality to help you get through that trauma, well, for example, EMDR is a great modality I am not trained in. So if I felt that that was in your best interest to do that, then I would recommend you to a therapist or refer you to a therapist who will do that for you. So that's also, too, that's something you can gain by advocating for yourself is maybe getting in touch with someone who could suit your needs better. And there's nothing wrong with that. Also a level of care that's appropriate. Oftentimes, Uh, and this falls right into our ethical obligations, Mm -hmm. we are ethically obligated to make sure that we are providing either directly or indirectly the highest level of Mm -hmm. care possible and appropriate for our clients. If we are working with someone who is not getting what they need in the 45 minutes a week that we can provide, it's time to refer them to a program that can provide the time and services that a client Absolutely. needs. Whether that's an intensive outpatient, which is 9 to 12 hours a week, mm-hmm. or something even more than that, that's fine. Yeah. They tend to be short-term, and you'll most likely end up coming back to us, but oh, sometimes yeah. you need that booster in between, and we're obligated to be able to get you where you need to go. <laughs> At no point do we take things so personally 
that we feel like failures or that you don't like us because the um, because the therapeutic interaction is either not what we expect or not doing the greatest service to you. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Yeah, sounds good. All right, so now that you maybe may or may not have decided to get into therapy or to see a therapist, there's a couple of things because every therapist is very different. Now you know that you you could go to a therapist for any reason that you want to go to a therapist for. You have the ability to find a therapist that suits your needs. Now, what does is, what is ther- a therapist actually look like as far as what does your experience in therapy actually look like? What is the relationship between you and your therapist actually look like? I think that it's... I think that we should consider the type of communication that you should have with your therapist. A therapist in this day and age with the uh, prominent therapeutic modalities that we've discussed Mm -hmm. so far um, should most likely be a uh, therapist that you're not relying on on a week-to-week basis. You are allowing the therapist to enhance your life, to educate you, uh, but not necessarily to be the um, the only thing that's validating you throughout the week. Mm-hmm. I think that it's important to remember that your therapist is partially a guide and partially an educational tool. Yep. Your therapist is not doing the work for you, but rather helping you figure out where to go. Like a sounding board. Exactly. And I think that... The educational tool comes in where, like, and I jokingly use the word therapize because it's not real, but... I say it all the time. But I want you to be able to therapize yourself. Right. I want to make sure that we're working together to learn the skill sets that fit your needs so that when I'm not around, you're still getting what you need out of therapy. Exactly. And and to also, you know, the therapist is there even when you don't do everything that you're supposed to do because... Um, I know that I don't always listen to my therapist and I know my clients don't always listen to me, but to be able to bring that phone and be able to process, okay, this is what, this is where I can improve. This is what different strategy I can apply here. This is what I, this is what I didn't do. And what can I do that's different? And it gives, it gives the ability for the therapist to process with you and to be able to, to help you grow like it's it's kind of like that help me help you like mm-hmm. that's that's what we're here for we can't you know i always say i have no magic wand that's going to turn around and fix you it's not one size fits all for so what works for me might not necessarily work for danielle it really depends on the individual and and that just goes into a little bit about what your therapist what it might look like is that you're treated as an individual, that you're, you have individual needs based on the based on the nature of what it is that you're looking for. Definitely. I think that it's important to have, and I always try and foster a high level of trust with my clientele mm-hmm. just because I believe in um, a relationship-based therapy where we feel like we can be honest with one another, where we feel like mm-hmm. we can trust one another. And where my clients can tell me, like, some of the things that they wouldn't necessarily tell anybody else. But at the same time, I don't want to form a relationship with my clients that's not appropriate. And I think that that can really easily happen with um, either on either end. Yeah. Establishing boundaries is actually really important for a therapist to do because that dual relationship, I mean, you're seeing, if you're seeing a client for a long period of time. Like I have clients that I've been seeing since I've been in private practice. I started for like two years. You have this rapport with them that can borderline as, you know, 
it might look like friendship and that's not healthy your therapist is not necessarily there to be your friend and you need to always have that boundary like I'm always going to be that person and yes we might joke around a little bit more because I know you and I could say things that you know to you because I've, I've been working with you a long time and I know that it's safe to do and so and it can be a more relaxed relationship yeah relaxed yeah it could definitely be a more relaxed relationship but at the end of the day we're not we're not here to like be your friend either so well I don't want my clients to be texting me when you know somebody matched with them on hinge right right but that's something that can wait until our next our next uh absolutely together and I do I want to hear about it absolutely do I need to hear about it real time no Right. Call your girlfriends. Right. Call your guy friends. Exactly. And but the, but and that brings us to what Danielle said. As a sounding board, it's our job to have you understand that you can do that. Like you can seek outside support. That when something does happen that you're excited about, that you can tell other people. And depending on what it is that you're looking for in therapy, like that is something that can actually be very empowering for you. Mm-hmm. You know, we're like I said, we're here as this 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 piece for you. And it's 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 kind of a cool thing to have that type of relationship with someone. You know, I mean, if you feel also, too, as far as advocating, and I just want to say this, if you feel like your therapist is crossing your boundaries, because, you know, I can only speak for myself and my own professionalism and um, whatnot, but if you feel like your therapist is crossing your boundaries, you have every right to say that. You have every right to say so and to let them know that, you know, you have boundaries too, just like they're like what Danielle says. I don't want my client. I don't want my client messaging me when you get a match on on hinge. Um, we have that boundary. You have that boundary, too. Like, so just know that because, you know, I just like to be realistic about things and that not every therapist um, is necessarily professional and they might cross boundaries too and you have a voice we have boundaries of our own to keep um as far as making sure that we're not getting overly invested so when i say that i don't necessarily mean that it's a bad thing for us to be invested in our clients but for instance i have to set self-care boundaries for myself i can very easily be um so engrossed in my work emails that I'm answering emails all hours of the day and night. Mm-hmm. And if my clients become used to that or dependent on that, that's not healthy for them. It's not healthy no. for me to feel obligated to do that. And so my working hours are my working hours. And if I respond to you, it's most likely, outside of those working hours, it's most likely mm-hmm. an extenuating circumstance and mm-hmm. an ethical obligation. Yeah, I make that very clear, too, initially with people. Like, you know, if you need to reach out to me, just I, I usually respond within 24 hours, but not on the weekends. So I'm not if you if you email me on a Friday night, I might not get back to you till Monday morning and I let people know that. And that's not neglect on a no. therapist part and as a client you should not feel as if you're bothering us. We offer you our contact information because we want you to be exactly. able to contact us. But at the same time, you know, this is a good practice of help uh it's a good practicing self-care to yeah. make sure that we're maintaining our work hours, that you're maintaining your expectations of us as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and too, speaking of, in, in terms of therapist self-care too, just so you know that any professional therapist is going to have a clinical supervisor of another professional therapist, and that is so key and important. So just so you know, not... No, we are not airing your business to other people, but we do have people we professionally go to, too, that are other professionals, 
to give us feedback too. So we're trying to do our best to make ourselves more well-rounded for you. We also want to make sure that if there's resources that we're not thinking of that our clients may need, that we are abreast of those things, that we're getting insight and feedback from other professionals who are willing to give us you know, more resources. For example, a recent conversation that I've had with my clinical team is discussing resources locally for sexual assault survivors. Like, mm-hmm. there are some resources that I'm aware of. I'm not aware of all of them. Exactly. And so it's good for me to share those with other clinicians mm-hmm. and for other clinicians to share their resources with me because ultimately it benefits all of our clients. Absolutely. We want to make sure that our own issues are not coming into the therapy room and to the setting with our clients. We want to make sure that we're providing the highest level of care for our clients. We want to make sure we're giving our clients the resources that they need. Yeah, and you know, these are some, the reason why we're even talking about this in the first place is that these are some of the things that we are bringing to light so you understand what goes on behind the scenes too. Like we're not sitting there, you know, I get, I get so pissed when someone's like, you're just collecting a paycheck. Like, oh, mm-hmm. well, you're getting my money, so. <laughs> you don't get into the mental health field for the paycheck. No. That's first of all. Um, But no, it's not about that. Like, yeah, okay, yeah, I need to pay my bills. I get that. Like, I'm a human too, and I'm doing work. But um, it's not just about that. Like, I'm not going to see someone that I don't think I'm a good fit for based on their needs. I will most certainly refer somebody to someone else if I don't think I can benefit a person. And that's not saying that you're too difficult as a client or you're not able to be fixed as a client or you're too much of a challenge or outside of like our abilities. It's saying that we're looking out for your best interest and we think that there's somebody who can help you get where you want to go more efficiently than we can. And this isn't just Danielle and I talking about this. This is therapists. These are professionals that I know in the field, professionals, my colleagues, her colleagues, people that I know, you know, just through networking across the board. This is a standard. And, and, And yes, just like any profession, does any, does every therapist meet that standard? No. But this is the standard and we're just trying to provide education. This is what we're doing for you. You know, we're not here just like, I'm not going to, you know, if somebody comes to me and, you know, oh, even in my own life, like I went to one therapist who who didn't have the skill set that I was looking for for me. And this is recent. And she was very nice and she was incredibly professional. I had no problems with her as a human being. I would refer people to her, but what I was looking for wasn't for me. And it wasn't personal. And she was totally fine with it. And I actually, well, because I knew to say it, she referred me to someone else. And it's been great. So that happens, and it happens with me too with clients. I've referred other people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. out. You know, if I'm not a good fit for you, let it's me a, let me see what let me see if I can find you someone that might be. It's a difficult thing as a clinician to be able to refer our clients out if we don't think that they're a good fit or we're not able to provide the highest quality of care. Because mm-hmm. of course we get into this field because we want to help people, so we have the Superman complex where we want to save everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but. It is a, a, it's a learning curve. <laughs> it is a learning curve, and it's it's something that clinicians struggle with as much as I think clients probably mm-hmm. do, maybe more so. Yeah, absolutely. So some of the takeaways that you can get from for today, 
Um, some of the things that we talked about that I want you to, to just like mull over one, um, you don't need to be in a crisis to go see a therapist and therapy, even if you are in a crisis, or there is something that you specifically need to see a therapist for, allow it to open up other doors for you too. Cause it's not just about that one thing. There's so many other components to what you're going through so much underneath that, that you can work on too. Another thing to take away from this is your ability, your voice, your ability to advocate to, for the type of therapy that you want. Yeah. It's. It's very important to be able to talk to your therapist about what your needs are so that you can make sure that those needs are being met, that you're getting the mm-hmm. quick care that you need, that the therapist is aware what is working and what is not so that they can really tailor therapy to your needs. Yeah, absolutely. And that's and those are the key things. We just want um we just want our listeners to understand that therapy can be an amazing thing and there's a lot of prejudice or stereotype out there against therapy and like what it actually looks like or what it can be. And, you know, your therapists are real people too. Um, I'm a real person. Danielle's a real person, just like anybody else. Like we have our, we have our own set of issues. We have our own stuff that we're going through and we do all this work on ourselves so we can be there for you. And that is the standard and that's the professionalism of a clinician in this field. If you are interested in pursuing therapy, if you haven't already, or if you're pursuing therapy and you're feeling like it's just not working, Talk to your clinician and explain why. If you don't have a therapist and you think that you'd like to explore the therapeutic process, look into finding a clinician that works for you, whether that's through your insurance by calling the customer service number Mm -hmm. on the back of your insurance card or by getting online, um, psychologytoday.com is a great resource to help you find a clinician that could fit for you. Yep, absolutely. In addition, if... um, If you're listening to this right now and you feel like you are in a state of crisis, that you may harm yourself, that you don't have a will to live, or that you know somebody else who is in that circumstance, please stay tuned for the end of this episode to make sure that you get the information for the suicide hotline. Um, We want to make sure that you're getting the help that you need. Also, if you're feeling like you may be in imminent harm to yourself, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out and call 911. Um, there's professionals who are there to help you. Thank you guys for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode. If you or someone you know is in a state of crisis, thinking about harming themselves or has lost their will to live, please reach out to the National Suicide Lifeline at 800-273-8255 for 24-hour support.